Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. In the previous chapter, which we looked at three weeks ago, the people got Aaron and said, Come, make us gods to go before us. And Aaron says, Well, rip off your earrings. Aaron throws him in the fire and then says, well, this calf popped out. And so he announced, well, we got a calf. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And all the people start worshiping the golden calf. Moses, God tells Moses about it and says, get down there and deal with your people whom you brought out of Egypt. Moses is like, whoa, 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 wait a second. My people whom I brought out of Egypt? Well, Moses has dealt with them. That's all in chapter 32. But chapter 33 begins like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your seed I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard these grave tidings, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, <coughs> which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the Tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Well, we'll stop there. We'll read more as we get to it in the exposition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not on the receiving end of this devastating announcement that you will not go with us. We thank you that instead you promised to never leave us never forsake us, that you tell us, fear not, for I am with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the gravity of idolatry, the magnitude of Israel's sin, and also the magnitude of your care for the mediator. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, I wish we had time to read all of these two chapters because... They are a mountaintop point in God's revelation of Himself to His people. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. It begins, more or less, with Exodus 3 and Moses at the burning bush saying, What is your name? God gives him 
his name. My name is I am who I am, God tells him. Then a few chapters later, there's Pharaoh's challenge. Who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And God effectively says, all right, you don't know who I am? I'll I'll send ten calling cards that will tell you who I am. And then God continues to reveal himself in the Passover, in the Red Sea, in the year that they spent at Sinai, uh, which is where we're at in the text. And here is one of the mountaintop peaks of that revelation where Moses says, well, let's fast forward down to verse 18. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Then skip down to 34.5. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Moses says, Who are you, Lord? The book of the knowledge of God and God reveals himself by passing by in front of Moses and saying, This is who I am. Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In Jewish tradition, that declaration is called the 13 attributes. I'm not sure how they get the number 13, but it's a handy way of referring to it. The book of the knowledge of God comes to a climax right here. God reveals himself to Moses. He doesn't show Moses his face. Moses gets to see his back. Essentially, we're trying to look at both of these chapters tonight so that we can orient ourselves in the broader narrative arc. In chapter 32, Israel makes the calf. Moses smashes the tablets of the law. Moses gets God to say, yes, I will forgive Israel. But then at the beginning of chapter 33, God drops this bombshell on them. I won't be going. Now what does he mean by that? Because he says, my angel is going, which is exactly what he promised back in chapter 23. My angel will go before you. My name is in him. So when he says the angel will go, I won't go, it seems to be saying the tabernacle is off tabernacle in which I was going to dwell in your midst and travel with you, that's canceled. No more tabernacle. And when Moses then pleads through these chapters, God, come with us. Let us build the tabernacle. Dwell in our midst like you promised you would. So God refuses to travel in Israel's midst, but through Moses' intercession, he does agree to do so. And in the process, he condescends to reveal his glory to Moses, to renew the covenant with Israel, and even to make Moses' face shine with divine glory. That's all in these two chapters. So we don't have time, obviously, to look at all of that over the next four weeks. 
we will look at it in detail tonight. I hope to give a large-scale overview of how Moses argues with the Lord, and then a brief summary of the God whose grace we can see. So let's start just with the very beginning here. 33, 1-3. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here. It's all stuff we've heard before. The six nations in the land of Canaan, the Hittites, the Amorites, I promised it to Abraham. All of that is stuff that you've read several times in the narrative of Exodus. Even the land flowing with milk and honey, and then halfway through verse 3, the tone suddenly changes. This is devastating. I won't be going with you because I would consume you on the way. Isaiah 26, I think it is, says, His anger is but for a moment, His favor for a lifetime. As Rashi, the medieval Jewish commentator, noted, a moment is long enough for the anger of God to destroy them. Maybe His anger is only for a moment, but His anger is powerful enough that in that moment, Israel would be obliterated. So God says, go up, go ahead, leave Sinai, go to the promised land, it's everything you ever wanted. My angel will be there, but I'm not going. Which, as I said, seems to be a reference to the cancellation of the tabernacle tabernacle project. So when the people hear this, they start to mourn. People say, oh man, what have we done? The whole reason we left Egypt was to come to the promised land with God. And now God says, I'm not going. Moses' response is to erect the tent of meeting. Moses goes outside the camp and continues talking with the Lord. It's not the permanent tabernacle. It's a temporary tent where Moses could go and talk to God. It's almost like Moses would stand in this tent with the door closed and God would stand on the other side of the door and they would speak face to face through the tent wall. Moses could not see God, but he spoke with God and it would seem that in this tent, he and God had the conversation recorded in the rest of chapter 33. And that conversation is stunning. Moses refuses. He digs his heels in and says, God, I will not go up. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Well, God had already said, All I'm sending my angel. Moses seems to be saying, If that angel isn't you, I don't know who it is. You just said the angel is going. You said your name is in the angel. I assume that meant the angel is you. So you don't... Who is this angel? I don't know who's coming with me. You have not let me know whom you will send with me. And then Moses makes this appeal, which is absolutely astonishing. The appeal is not to the terms of the covenant. The appeal is not to the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had already cited that promise in verse 1 and said, hey, me not going to the promised land is completely compatible 
with my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I promised to give their seed this land. I didn't say I would live there with them. So Moses can't appeal to that. Instead, he appeals to God's personal attachment to him. Moses says, You have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Moses negotiates, and the lever he has for negotiation is his favored status with God. That's a pretty incredible thing to appeal to. It's mind-boggling. To say, God, you say you know me, and therefore, I'm asking you to change your mind. Moses dares to say, For these two reasons, you have said you know me by name, that is, you're intimate with me, you understand who I am at a deep level, and you have found grace in my sight. God, if you have favor for me, I'm going to claim it. I'm asking for a gigantic favor right now. Come with us. And then he has one more argument. Consider that this nation is your people. Well, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your ways that I may find grace in your sight. We'll talk about that more next week. Suffice it to say that Moses' first appeal is to know God better. He says, we're already very close. And the number one thing I want is to be closer. And then he says, I can't, so God responds, my presence will go with you, singular, you Moses, and I will give you, Moses, rest. God says, all right, Moses, you're right, I'm close with you, I'll go with you. Not with the people, right, he leaves the people out, God does not mention the people, it's a singular you. And Moses rejects that offer. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses boldly says, Lord, you favor me to the point where I'm going to ask you to favor all two million of these people. Deliver them for my sake. Do it for me. Now, Most of us are very leery of that argument, especially in such a boldly phrased way. Because if you say, do it for me, you're burning a huge amount of relational capital. Do this strictly because I want you to do it. I know you love me enough that you'll do it just because I asked you to. Moses dares to appeal to God in that way. Moses also says, this is the only thing worth fighting for. Being in the land means nothing. Having you drive out the six nations, we don't care about that. Our own special diets, the purity laws, those markers of identity are irrelevant. All that matters is whether you are with us. How will it be known that that your people and I have found grace in your sight unless you go with us? So we shall be separate from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Our identity as Hebrews, as slaves delivered from Egypt, 
None of that matters if God is not with us. Now our identity, our ethnic and cultural identity, is something that most of us are radically unwilling to give up. Even if for the sake of the Gospel you're moved to a different place and go native and wear their clothes, eat their food, do your hair the way they do their hair, you remember in your heart of hearts, I'm not one of them. I'm an American. Moses says, yeah, we're Hebrews. Guess what? We don't care unless you're with us. Our cultural identity, even that, is not as important as your presence in our midst. And God says, yes. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. And He says, here's why. For you have found grace in My sight, and I know you by name. God consents. He says, you're right, Moses. I do love you enough that I will do it just because you asked. That is how close we are. That tells us everything we need to know, brothers and sisters, about our true mediator, Jesus Christ. And He can go to the Father and say, Father, do it just because I ask. Do it because you know me by name and I have found favor in your sight. And the Father will say, yes, Son, you're right. I won't refuse you. I would never refuse you. Jesus says that in one of His prayers, right? I know that you always hear me. Moses boldly appeals to God and he gets what he asks for. But he doesn't stop there. Right? Most of us, I think, would be like, alright, I've spent enough capital. I don't dare make a second request at this point. But Moses says, Moses adds, Please show me your glory. What? Moses, you just got the thing you really wanted. But Moses is like, that is not enough. I have to have more. See, the whole issue with the golden calf is what? God's to go before us. A visible God. Where is Moses? We don't know. Where is God? We don't know. We need a God we can see. And Moses then expresses that same desire. Please show me your glory. And God responds, he uses the word see seven times in the next five verses. God says, I understand that the issue is that you want to see me. And you will. Moses, you get to see me. Now it's not quite Like All the people got to see the golden calf. Only Moses gets to see God. The same is true today. Jesus sees the Father's face and He tells us about it. Moses sees the Father's back and He tells us about it. We aren't told what God's back looked like. Instead, we're told, here's what God says about Himself. This is the character. This is the God I saw the God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and all the rest of it. Moses says, show me your glory. He wants to see God. 
a God to go before us, a God we can see, and God consents to be that God. Now, it's through the mediator. He doesn't say, I will show my back to everyone and I'll march in front of you to Canaan. He shows it to the mediator who has to go and tell the others. But he does show himself. So, we'll talk at length about this passage where God shows his back to Moses. We all understand that seeing someone's back is not the same thing as seeing his face. But even God's back is so overwhelming that it would nearly kill Moses without God's protecting hand over him. The visible revelation, though, is supplemented. In fact, it's completely overshadowed by the verbal revelation of the 13 attributes. This is who your God is. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin by no means clearing the guilty. So we have that climactic revelation of the Father's glory to Moses. And then Moses asks again. He doesn't say, well, he he bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. But he doesn't then say, God, you're amazing. Thank you. That's all I needed today. No, he has yet another request. If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses wanted the sight of God, and now he wants the ways of God. God, what are you like, essentially? Show that you really will accompany us. And so God reiterates the material from the book of the covenant in Exodus 21 to 23 and says, here's my laws for you. Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels. Observe what I command you this day. And he describes life in the land. Don't make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. A feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. And so on. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord. The first of the first fruits of the land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you, and the magic words, and with Israel. Moses, here's your answer. It's not just you and me. It's you and me and all the people. I've made a covenant with all of you. So God reiterates the terms of the covenant. He gives a summary of the book of the covenant to say it's all back on. I will do what I promised and what you promised, I will. you're still on the hook to do. It's a deal. And then finally, the chapter closes with another throw reference back to the God we can see. Moses is with God so long Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Moses brings the visible glory of God down the mountain and shows it to the people. 
God is revealing Himself. God is showing them not just a sight of Himself, not just His way, it shows His glory. The visible glory will go before Israel, not in a golden calf, but in a radiant man who is too bright to look at. A man whose visible glory strikes fear into the hearts of those who see him. Again, sound familiar? Moses is the mediator, brings the glory of God to the people of God. Jesus, as mediator, brings the glory of God to the people of God. Whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with God. It was more than they could handle. Even the secondhand glory, right? Secondhand smoke is toxic. Secondhand glory is overwhelming. Moses is showing them the God who will go before them. God doesn't go personally in a way that they can see. Instead, He sends Moses to carry His glory and walk with them to the promised land. As I said, that was just a very brief summary of what's in these chapters, the narrative arc. Next week, we will talk much more about Moses' negotiation with the Lord. What do we take away? God is a God to go before us. God is a God who understands our desire for a God we can see. And He meets that desire halfway. He says, I will show you my glory in a man. I will show myself to the mediator and he will tell you what I'm like. And if you say that's not enough, right? is the golden calf really better? Does the golden calf get us a better sight of the glory of God? Of course not. There's still faith required. God doesn't come and show Himself. You cannot see His face and live. But you can look on the face of Jesus, which Paul says we do. Right? Paul bases his entire account of New Testament ministry in 2 Corinthians 3 on this about Moses and the veil. And he says, we see the glory now. Oh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Their minds were hardened, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, but not on ours. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. All this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Paul says New Testament ministry is like Moses' ministry, but it's better because the unfading glory of Christ that we see in our worship transforms us from one level of glory to the next. When we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's what we're here for. What do you go to church for? I come for the glory. 
I want to see Jesus who shows me the Father. Let's pray. Father, we turn to You. Take away the veil. Transform us by Your Spirit, by Your Son, our Lord, from one degree of glory to the next. Show us Yourself, even in the pages of Exodus. Show us Your Son, the true Mediator, the One who pleads with You on our behalf. We pray these things, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen.